Welcome to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Kelly, owner of Kelly Mental Health Clinic, where we are all about always getting better. Today on our podcast, we have the brilliant and talented Lara Hallway, who was kind enough to share her views on how people going through labor and childbirth have historically had their power taken away just by the way our healthcare system functions. She and I discussed the impact of having care partners taken away from the birthing process, birth trauma, and how she as a practitioner works with her clients to overcome those traumas. I'm so glad that we were able to shed light on this issue today because we're seeing how invalidation and victimization during a natural process can have long-lasting effects on parents and children. If you enjoy our podcast, please do give us a share and follow us on social media so that we can reach more people and start igniting real change to help the people around us. Remember, real change starts with real conversations, and this is a great one. Thanks for listening. Hi, Lara. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So Lara Hallway is, uh, she, she is a clinician. I'm losing my words already, um, but she's got a very, very interesting background. So Lara, I'm so excited that we've been able to connect and uh, especially to talk about this situation when it comes to the restrictions on birthing mothers uh, over the course of this pandemic. So mm-hmm. uh, just before we get started, um, would you mind just sharing a bit about yourself, your, your practice, your area of interest? Yeah, thank you. So I have been uh, working as a social worker and a therapist for the past uh, seven or eight years now. And I think my own uh, experiences and interests have led me to focus more and more on uh, working with women and women's experiences and especially experiences around trauma and gendered trauma and of course now birth trauma. in the last year, I've been training to be a doula, and a big part of that has also been, um, I think it came from working with clients who over and over again were talking about this uh, traumatic experiences of birth or early motherhood and wanting to not only work with them as a clinician, but also be more on the front lines, as it were, to, to work with them uh, in the actual experience. Mm-hmm. So. You know, before I met you, I I didn't know the difference between a doula and a midwife. Um, Just wanted to be able to spell that out. Yeah, so a midwife is a a healthcare professional um, who specializes in birth or whose practice is birth. So uh, with a midwife, um, usually it's women, but uh, any midwife is there to make sure that both the baby and the, the birthing person are healthy and that the delivery happens. Um, whereas a doula does not take on any medical, uh, role, the doula is there for, for the birthing person for, um, to, to make sure that they feel supported emotionally, um, to provide some physical, uh, comforts in terms of, um, you know, counter pressure and pain relief in that way. And also if they have a partner with them to help that partner, uh, support them, uh, through the birth experience. And so it's kind of like if everyone's focused from the waist down on the person giving birth, the doula is there to to connect um, with that person uh, eye to eye and make sure that they're doing okay. 
Wow. I have read some accounts of uh, doulas really having to go to bat for those yes. people. Because um, you're right, a lot of times it seems like maybe it's just our, our healthcare setup or the, the focus is always on the baby, but not so much about the well-being of the, of the mother. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I feel like, um, so through my training uh, as, as a doula and also my experiences um, helping people with birth trauma, I've done more and more research into like, how, do, how is this the way we give birth as a society? And how do we hold birth as a society? And I think certainly in North America for the last hundred years, we've given the power of birth away to the healthcare professional. And it's even you know, we talk about delivering babies or we talk about, you know, the doctor says, well, like I delivered this baby. And it's like, that baby's not a pizza. Like a, a person, <laughs> that, that baby had an experience, but that woman was the, the person who gave birth and who was and should be anyways in power as they're giving birth. And so I think a lot of the times we've started to medicalize something or treat it as if treat birth as if it's something that's going wrong and always needs to be monitored because it's going wrong. Whereas, you know, we don't, I think there's a lot of potential to treat it as a really powerful experience that isn't wrong. It's, it's exactly right. And we're capable of giving birth. Mm -hmm. And it's, it should sort of be seen that way, shouldn't it? Because it's been, I mean, this is kind of what we're built to do. I mean, granted yes. our human bodies are, are, you know, not, uh, not very helpful about the whole birthing process because no. our brains are so big and, <laughs> and we walk upright and that has its own kind of bearing on the pelvis. And, and I also know it can be really triggering to hear the words that we are able to do this for anyone who's had a birth that, um, ended up being a cesarean or ended up going in a different direction to hear that like, Oh, I was able, like, I'm, uh, supposed to be capable and, and somehow that the implication there would be that they failed. And I just want to cut that off, that that's not at all what's meant by birthing in power. I think that a lot of times what isn't realized is that if we center women and if we, if we make birth about supporting the person who's giving birth, um, we can make sure that that process is something that they feel like they are always in charge of the decision-making around and can make uh, strong decisions that work for them around. And I'm not going to sit here in any judgment about what any of those decisions would be. It's more that what I'm pointing at and what I really want to challenge in our society is the idea that those decisions should be made by anyone other than the person giving birth. And, yeah. That's, that's not typically how it's been then. It seemed like there wasn't that long ago, uh, as far as I, I know, that they used to do twilight births. They used to put people right yeah. to sleep. And it was, yeah. again, you know, they didn't have a choice about it. And, and that's kind of the, the place. So that was around the, the turn of the last century where um, birthing was suddenly taken out of the hands of midwives who typically would go you know, to the person's home and all of a sudden was in the hands of obstetricians, at least in North America. And I think that what we sometimes, yeah, so, so twilight birth was uh, women were given ether and they were put under and they can't remember anything that happened. But when you're in that state, your body still remembers. Like they're, they're, they were still on some level um, 
conscious enough to be moving and giving birth and the trauma of that birth was still stored in their bodies, but they couldn't consciously remember it. And I, I think that what we're learning about more and more right now is, is exactly how our bodies store trauma and process trauma and how we, we hold triggers and how we even deal with pain. And that, that was actually something I wanted to talk to you about today because I, I know you know as, as a, a trauma therapist that um, trauma is entirely subjective. Something that might be extremely traumatic for me would not necessarily be traumatic for you. And that's because of our own differing life experience and, and all of that. And so when somebody has an experience of birth and they find it traumatic, it's not something that we can write down on a paper of like, oh, this, this, and this lead to a traumatic birth. Um, I've spoken with women who had home births, everything went according to the plan that they had made. They thought like it, it should be like, I should be really happy with this. And they found the, the entire experience extremely traumatic. And I've worked with other women who had what um, on paper could be called a really traumatic birth, you know, a lot of medical interventions and um, things happening. And, and in the end, they're like, I actually feel okay with it. It felt good. I understood what was happening and I can process that. And so, yeah, I think um, one thing I kind of getting off track here, but, but just to respond to that, that yes, like the traumatic birth is, we have a long legacy of it here in, in North America. I, I hear you on that. And, and you're right. It's so difficult to, as a trauma therapist, you can't, uh, you can't predict who's going to uh, develop a you know, trauma response to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to kind of get your opinion about uh, is recently with the pandemic, the restrictions that were put in place at uh, Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Center. Uh, one of the restrictions was that um, care partners could, uh, only one was allowed and they could only stay for, I believe it was six hours. And if there was a C-section that they had to leave. Yeah. And so there's a group that has popped up that they were very much advocating. They were going to the ombudsman. They were trying to contact hospital officials. They were getting the runaround. They were doing everything they could. And, you know, the media wouldn't even pick it up, the story about it. Yeah. It, was, it was actually really disappointing that, you know, here, these women that are a lot of times enduring a trauma are literally going through an experience ripping their bodies apart to bring life into the world are not allowed to do it with someone that supports them or that person has to leave almost immediately. So what, what are your thoughts about that situation? Oh, that makes me, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> uh, for one, it wasn't just um, Thunder Bay, like that is like across the board in Canada and, and I believe a, a lot of places in the world. Uh, with the advent of the pandemic, all of a sudden it was this idea that the way that we can keep women safe, and I'm putting that in quotations just for now, is to really limit the amount of supports that they have in in the hospital birth setting. And I I think on so many fronts that's incredibly short-sighted and leads to a host of other problems. Um, I think the idea behind uh, this curtailing or saying like, okay, no one can come in with, come 
with you into the hospital other than one partner um, is already saying that like as here how do I formulate my thoughts <laughs> <laughs> there is a ton of research out there that having birth supports who are educated and uh, trained to provide support during birth lowers the risk of c-sections lowers the risk of medical interventions and helps both the the birthing person and their partner um, feel stronger and more powerful in birth and so even by limiting it to only one person to go with them into the hospital, you're already increasing the chances of them having to have a surgical birth, um, having to have different medical interventions and, and a longer birth. Um, so if the goal is to have people have a healthy uh, birth within a short period of time, you would expect that they would actually want more people to support that birthing person. Um, so then they could have uh, a birth um, with, without needing to have a surgical birth or without it uh, trailing on for hours, if not days. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I, I find so kind of awful and hard about that is that it, the, it leaves that partner feeling as if they're, they're failing their, um, the, the mom, the, the person giving birth. So it's like it puts, first of all, a time limit on the birth, which is almost going to guarantee that the birth is going to go so much longer. Um, and then that partner leaving, it feels incredibly powerless. And like, how do I help? What do I do? Um, and then having it be that they aren't allowed in during a cesarean at all, that's that starts to get into areas of consent. Like, how do we, if you're during a cesarean, often that partner is the one who's standing by the, the mom's head, telling them what's going on, telling them that it's gonna be okay, letting them know what's happening in, in the room because that woman is flat on her back, strapped down with drugs, meaning that she can't move half her body. That is an incredibly powerless position to be in. And to all of a sudden say that now she needs to go through that completely alone um, without anybody, uh, that she knows standing by helping her through that during a pandemic when everything feels terrifying, but especially hospitals. Like I, I we are setting women up for trauma and we are setting their, their partners up for trauma. And I, I just don't see how that's gonna help in the health of, of our future generations or, or any of it. Mm -hmm. That that really that kind of gave me goosebumps a little bit because you know I hadn't heard anyone speak about what is the impact on the partner and uh, you know obviously I've, I've got a couple of friends actually right now they just gave birth within a couple of days of each other and one of them um, they were so looking forward to the father being there because for the birth of their other children, he was not able to, he was working out of town, he was in school, they wouldn't let him leave. And so now this one, they really were looking forward to being together. And yeah, it just kind of leaves you feeling so powerless, especially then too, um, when I had my son, we were in the hospital for five days because he had jaundice. And so, and even then I didn't have a lot of support and there wasn't a pandemic going on. And those were the most depressing five days of my life. Of course they were. That, that's so hard. And I, I think that also speaks to a whole other thing that I, I would advocate or say that I don't necessarily think hospitals are the place where people need to be giving birth. 
I think that, and, and I don't um, mean that people should only be giving birth through midwives or anything like that. I just mean that if hospitals are the epicenter of where we bring everyone who is uh, going through some kind of illness or disease or other health scare, that's not necessarily the environment or the place where we need to be bringing people who are as open and opening as, as people giving birth. Like we, in, in larger centers, um, they're starting to, to create birth centers or places where, you know, it's, if you still choose to have medical interventions, you can have those, you can be followed by an obstetrician, but you're not going to the place where um, we're also having everybody who's, who's struggling with COVID or everyone who's um, on going through renal failure or anything like that. Those, the fact that you would be for five days in a place where you're just listening to alarms and codes and nurses coming in at all hours to, to check on your blood pressure and make sure you're, you know, like all of this is, is really hard and, and not necessarily healing for you, your partner or your baby. Mm -hmm. The concept of a birthing center is really interesting. And I, I mean, I, I imagine that perhaps we're not a big enough center yet, but yet um, it wasn't that long ago that um, First Nation women that were living in outlying communities, would they would be flown out here alone for a month of confinement and were not allowed an escort. So, you know, sometimes it's your first <laughs> baby. And I, I had a client that had a stillbirth. And so after that stillbirth, that's when they flew her mother out and she was here alone for that. And they just recently changed that. I think it was last year, maybe the year before they finally started allowing an escort for that month of confinement. But just why is that? Why, why is that, you know, a, a laboring person doesn't have the, you know, the same rights sometimes as other people that are going through, um, you know, critical health issues. Mm -hmm. Like, why is that? I, it, it enrages me. I, I feel that um, I don't think there's any other medical procedure where as much power is taken away from the people undergoing the procedure as it is during birth. And, and I think part of that is that birth shouldn't be treated as a procedure. But another part of it is, is I think there's a huge embedded um, oppression or uh, powerlessness in the way that we've constructed birth within the hospital setting. And it's this idea that a doctor knows best and doesn't need to check in with the person whose body it is um, to make sure that they're okay with what's going to happen. And I think it's easy to say that, yes, we're doing this because we need the baby to survive. But I also think that no one in the world is going to be more uh, a stronger protector and somebody more concerned about the life of that baby than the, the mom whose body the baby is coming out of. So if we can just assume that everyone in that room is yes, there because they want everyone to survive. We still need to check in with that person and say, here are your options. Like that, that's informed consent. We, we do it as therapists, doctors are trained in it, dentists are trained in it. Everyone in the medical field knows about informed consent, but I feel like in birth, it's often overlooked. And things are happening fast that don't necessarily need to happen fast. 
And for an example, a friend of mine who recently gave birth had talked extensively with her obstetrician about the fact that she, you know, unless something were to go wrong, she, she intended to have a non-medicated birth. And yet she, she has talked to me extensively because it was traumatic for her about the second she entered the hospital, she was routinely um, pushed into and, and asked, like, why aren't you accepting any medication? Why aren't you accepting any medication? She, and this is a woman who she works as a lawyer. She is a strong advocate for herself. She could continue to like return to her power and say, look, I don't want any interventions right now. I'm doing okay. But this is somebody who's used to pushing back against other professionals. Why are we not more concerned about the fact that a lot of for a lot of women going into the hospital giving birth, this is an extremely scary time. And the quote unquote experts in the room have a lot more power than her. And anything they say, they need to be making sure that she realizes all of her options and not bullying her into doing something that uh, if, if she had more time and more information to think about it, she might make a different decision. Mm -hmm. That, that, balance of power. That is a, a really interesting conversation altogether. I mean, as clinicians, right, we, we're always taught that we have significant power over our clients. If we, even the power of suggestion, should we, you know, recommend or re recommend a, a treatment method or say there's a diagnosis when maybe we're, we might not be qualified to make that diagnosis, it can change the trajectory of the relationship and the treatment and you know, here, like you said, you, you've got this person that is very fearful because something's happening to their body. They may mentally be prepared for it, but no one's prepared for that kind of pain. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember saying, because they asked me about drugs too, and I said, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not going to be a hero. Well, you know how quickly <laughs> that willpower goes bye-bye out the window. <laughs> and, and not even necessarily like, you you get to make your choices like you yeah. you made the best choices for you and you were like actually this is pain that isn't helpful for me i would like a, a, a medical intervention here and to feel differently in this moment mm -hmm. but that's that's a very different decision than a nurse standing over you saying or a doctor standing over you saying you don't have to be a hero you should just take the medication what are you trying to prove what are you trying to prove? Like it's right. like that, that erodes any kind of, of trust with yourself and your own decisions. Mm -hmm. and so I think that all too often within the birth world, it's kind of pitted of, as these quote unquote natural mothers, um, like, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be strong. And then quote unquote, people are like, Oh, give me the epidural. And it's, this is not a battle or a one ways better. It's that every woman gets to choose that for herself. Every birthing person gets to choose that for themselves. And if they're bullied into any decision, then that's power taken away from them. And that's power they need to birth with. That's, that's not power that should be taken from them. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I imagine too, that's where the, the doula and, and even a midwife will really make a difference because there's, there's a difference in the way that we, um, the way that we comprehend pain, right? The, yeah. If we feel like uh, instinctively that this pain is hurting us, that it's scarring us forever, well, then we're going to panic. But yeah. if it's purposeful pain, if we understand it differently, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that kind of play into the role that, that you would play in that scenario as well? 
A hundred percent. And and I think that that's, um, that entire idea is, is the reason why doulas are so effective. And that returning of somebody like, I'm sure everyone's been in that scenario where you're, you have something happen. You're like, I don't think I can survive this. And then even just having somebody come and be like, hey, you got this. This is okay. Like whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear, whether it's pain, and you can just kind of take that breath and, and return to the fact that, yes, I can be big enough for this moment. I can survive this moment. And in birth, the idea of pain without purpose versus pain with purpose is so apt because if we think about pain as something that is just, we're just suffering with it, it's just never going to end, there's no point to it, then of course we want to do anything possible to be out of that moment. We're going to tense. We're going to be like, I can't handle this. Whereas if that birthing per person uh, has that connection with somebody to return them to, this pain has a purpose. This pain is sensation. This pain is your body opening enough to, to become a portal for a baby to go through, that you can be here in this moment. And no matter what decision you make, this yeah, that this sensation is something that you can encompass. And I, again, all, all the research and all the studies show that the more the person giving birth is, is able to feel empowered and centered in themselves and, and like, okay, this is something that I am prepared to do and I'm not being rushed. I'm not, you know, um, staying within that kind of grounded place, the better the birth outcomes are across the board and, and kind of with some huge statistics. Like I think it's something like 31% reduction in cesarean rates and um, like really significant uh, differences. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Uh, and on the other hand too, I, I do see when the pandemic really started to pick up, I recall reading um, an article about an Ottawa hospital that was going to be forcing all women that or women are birthing people. I'm saying that carefully, <laughs> obviously, because obviously not, not all birthing people uh, identify as women, um, that they were going to be forcing them to be induced on a schedule because yeah. they didn't, they wanted to cut down on like the number of them showing up all at the same time, all in labor. And I just saw that as just a, just really sad like what a, what a horrendous thing, because of course, um, you know, inducing is necessary at some points, but a lot of times it's, I mean, baby's not ready, you know, yeah. the body's not ready. Um, and, but the problem is too, they were also trying to ban people from having home births because they said, if, if you need to come in for a C-section, like they were going to be giving people uh, epidurals as well. Like it was just a mess. I don't know that they ever went through with it, but the news report about it was pretty scathing. They were shut and down pretty quickly in terms of yeah. that. But I mean, also, and that again, wasn't just Ottawa. That was in Nova Scotia. That was in Quebec. Mm. Like it was um, a really, and I think still is. I, I think this idea that birthing, that, that birth is something that can be scheduled, that can be controlled, that can be put within the concept of a nine to five working day or that should happen on schedule. Like even the concept of a due date, like we know because we have the, 
the research and the statistics to show us that normal birth takes place within like almost a four week period at the end. It's like some people it's natural and normal for them to give birth at 38 weeks. Other women, it's natural and normal for them to give birth at 42 weeks. And they're giving birth across the board, all of those women to, to healthy babies of a normal size. Mm -hmm. And what I think is tricky is that if, if somebody has a narrow view that, okay, birth should happen at exactly 38 or 39 or 40 weeks. And if it's gone over that, it's too long and dangerous. We're cutting out human experience. It's like, no, we as humans naturally go longer than that. Sometimes the gestation period can be naturally longer than that. And although sometimes, of course, inductions are, are medically necessary for the health of, of either the birthing person or the baby, I think a lot of times, and there's studies to show this, it's it's more for the comfort of the healthcare providers. Um, and that's something that that leads to more complications for, for, the, for the birth and um, longer repercussions for, for the, the birthing person. A lot of the times when uh, women have come to me to talk and as a therapist to process their birth trauma, a lot of, you know, so, some, some things are, are just traumatic, like the entire experience is there just some, some terrible things have happened as happens in life. And then other times it's this, how I've kind of en encompassed it is, is this idea of that they were so doubted by the people around them during this process that they lost touch with this idea that they could trust their instincts because every single one of their instincts or was, was, um, invalidated or pushed back against. And if we think of birth as one of those incredibly powerful times during your life, that it's, it's a transition, it's a transformation. It's, it's also the time when you are the most open and susceptible to, to influence. And in cultures across the world, that's really treated with a lot of tenderness that, okay, women and birthing people have to open up so much. We need to make sure that their environments are really safe because they're vulnerable during that time. And then as they close down postpartum, um, it's like a tightening and a wrapping and we, we keep them and we cocoon them and we treat them with safety. And then you think about um, going through that, that kind of trial of openness in a hospital environment where everything that you're asking for or saying is being invalidated or told, you know, you're wrong. We're going to turn the lights on. We're going to put you on your back. You got to have your legs up in the air. Like, <laughs> all of it. like, wait a second. This is not what my body's telling me I need. Like maybe your body's saying that you need to be on all fours with the lights down or holding your partner or having your family around you or like having your other children around you or any of these things that those are instincts we need to honor. Mm -hmm. Wow. And from a mental health perspective, when someone, when someone's power is taken away like that, what are some of the ramifications, some of the consequences that you see and, and how do you treat that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think for me, I, I work with a lot of um, mental health and a lot of my, my clients and, and to be honest, a lot of my own experience 
through the lens of um, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems, like that idea of either um, the fight, flight, freeze response or the trauma response, the, that um, stage in your body of like, okay, I feel like I'm going to die right now. So I need to either fight my way out, freeze and hide or run away versus the, that rest and digest nervous system response that like, okay, I can process, I can be here. And I think that trauma and anxiety and a lot of um, like PTSD, all of these mental health issues can be traced back to that fight, flight, freeze nervous system response that never got processed, that is kind of left like an alarm bell ringing in the body that something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And that person's like, I know, but I don't know what to do, you know? And so um, in the case of birth trauma or in the case of any kind of trauma, um, I first do a lot of work with the person to, to help them even identify the difference between a trauma response and a, like that feeling of groundedness and safety and start to kind of open that up a bit more of like, when, when do you feel safe? Uh, how, do, how can you access that safety? How do you access that grounding? And then starting to explore triggers and then going back through the experience. And one of the, the differences I think between working, um, working with a trauma that has an event attached to it and working with a mental health experience that might be more kind of all through the life, you know, or, or not necessarily connected to one specific event is that with a specific event, often once you are able to work through the process of what the body needed at that time and, and offer it back to the body, you know, like here's the completion of that cycle. Like, yes, the alarm bell was rang, but now here we can, we can soothe, we can allow it to be processed, we can talk about it until it no longer is hitting that alarm bell. Um, it, it's almost, it, it's cleaner, it's more like encapsulated, you know, it's like often trauma, you, you, you work with it until all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's not there as much, or it's different somehow, it's changed somehow. And I'm not sure if that quite answered your question. Mm -hmm. You might have gone off on a tangent. <laughs> Uh, and then comparing that, uh, so more of an acute crisis, like the specific yeah. situation, comparing that to um, traumas or, or maybe cumulative traumas throughout the lifetime, how does that compare? Well, and that's trickier when, and, and I think often one of the hardest things about birth trauma is when it, it's happened to somebody who has a history of accumulated traumas or a history of, of mental health issues and because then it's not only is that alarm bell ringing, but it's been ringing for so long, it might not even be noticeable that this is a new kind of louder bell or, some, or that something else has also happened. And so that process is um, a lot longer. And, and you had mentioned, you know, a lot of our, the First Nation communities around Thunder Bay, they, um, people who are about to give birth are sent to Thunder Bay for the month before their their due date and as of the last couple of years they can bring their partner but it's still just one or two people in a city that they're not um, used to in a city which um, 
is sometimes triggering for people who struggle with either substance abuse or gambling and without a lot of supports or family around them. And these are also people who have their own accumulated traumas and, and issues. And I, I find that so hard, that entire system. And, and I think it's um, one of those things that we're not looking at as a society of how are we supporting these people and how are we supporting um, not only the person who's sent here to give birth and has to be here for, for a month, but also their partner who's, you know, um, struggling with, with their own issues and trying to support the, the person that they're here with. And I, I think that that's often when it gets trickier. It's less about a specific birth trauma and it's more about trauma throughout the life and mental health issues throughout the life and, and how do we support that. That's so hard. So hard to even just uncover that, of course, because you've also got someone that's probably, well, ideally taking care of a crying baby too, <laughs> you yeah. know? In a, in a hotel room. Yeah. That, like that's just not, no one wants to do that, you know? And yeah. And so that's, I think where sometimes as therapists, we come up against like, yes, we can offer people ways to, um, sit with and acknowledge and work through their trauma. But until the system changes, that's not going to have any noticeable results for that person because they will keep being re-traumatized. And that's a place where as a, a therapist, I really struggle because I, you know, when you're working with your client, you see them and you're just like, you're incredible. You're going through all of this. You have so many, um, strengths and and ways of of showing your resilience and then you're watching them go out the door and you know they're going right back into a life that's gonna continue to bring trauma and and hardship and it, it's hard that's why uh, a lot of the times you'll see clients that have these cumulative traumas and and they have this uh, incredible ability to compartmentalize yeah. but then they feel bad about it you know oh yeah I'm, I'm just bottling it up and i'll say no and this is what helped you survive this is great <laughs> when the time is right we unpack yeah mm -hmm. oh 100 percent that yeah mm -hmm. so this is this is a, a really big topic obviously uh there's there's so many potential solutions but it has to be changed on such a like almost a societal um, lens, it, the whole society and, and our belief and understanding around birth needs to change, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think that I, I really wish that it, it could be moved away from this idea that like uh, women having to choose a certain kind of path and being like, okay, either I can... Um, choose a, a hospital path or an at-home path um, and, and the differences between those two and, and for it to instead be looked at as something that like we as a society are supporting people giving birth and that they are the experts in their own birth. They get to be the ones making the decisions right up until the moment and after um, in terms of asking for what they need and getting the supports that they need. And mm -hmm. I think that has to include having people with them if they're in the hospital setting giving birth, um, not only their partner, but also uh, doulas or other family members to support them. And that we, 
by taking that right away that I see that as a human rights violation like that there, there's no that that just starts to get so heavy and so hard and so traumatic and I, I really struggle to understand the how that scene is promoting health in, in a pandemic when if anything all the research shows that it'll only increase hospital times, increase um, the, the likelihood of a cesarean, and increase um, follow-up, like the need for follow-up care. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I struggle with that a lot. I hear you on that. So um, you, you are providing sessions online. This is definitely your area of interest. Um, you also do ceramics on the side. Uh, where can people follow you and find you? Um, so yeah, I am currently available for bookings through Kelly Mental Health uh, in terms of online, either by uh, phone or video counseling. And then my uh, ceramics business is called Sweet Earth Ceramics. And um, I'm primarily on Instagram as Sweet Earth Ceramics or uh, online in that way. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my two, yeah, I'm all about mental health and pottery. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it makes so much sense too, because mental health is like this constant work in progress, constantly getting people a little bit further, a little bit further. But if you have the opportunity to make something and it's real and you can hold it in your hand, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's why I like renovations. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You mud walls and yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be able to talk again. There's, uh, there's a whole series of things about this particular topic yeah. I'd love to talk to you about. A lot of ways we can dive in. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Kelly Mental Health Podcast. If you like what you hear, Follow us on social media. Give us a like. Give us a share. Help us reach more people. Take care of yourselves and each other.